three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I just, put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, would you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits episode 16. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and essentially this is a podcast about just about everything, ranging from psychology and philosophy to nutrition to dating and back again. This week, we were originally supposed to talk to a special guest about aging, space exploration, uh, and money, but we're going to scrap those topics and push them to next week. We had a couple of technical difficulties recording that episode, but you'll hear all about um, those topics next week. This week, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that's health. We'll start off by delving into doctors. There are so many doctors out there. You've got your primary care doctors, your specialists like dermatology and cardiology, the dentist, of course, the eye doctor, and all these guys tell you you need to come once, twice, three times a year. We're going to dive into what doctors you should be seeing once or more a year and whether there's such a thing as going too often. Fitness. There's cutting and bulking and toning. There's so much information out there on how to work out. We're going to talk through building the model workout routine. And finally, meal prep, how it can save you time, money, and so much unnecessary agita. All that and so much more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. Keep sending those emails in, guys, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. Of course, follow us on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. I want to apologize. I know it's been two weeks um, since the last pod dropped, the last episode. Um, you know, life on my end uh, has been a little, uh, a little busy. Um, I am preparing to go back to school in the fall, going to uh, to law school. Um, it's been you know, something that I've thought about for a very long time, something I've kind of put off and put off. And, you know, my mom uh, nudged me and uh, kind of, you know, seeing my peers, um, you know, graduate has given me the impetus I needed to kind of get get, get my act together. So preparing to go to law school in the fall, very exciting. Um, I may be pushing the, the podcast to bi-weekly as opposed to weekly. Um, but, you know, more on that soon. So I, at the very least, you're going to you're gonna hear me every, every two weeks, um, if not every week. We did get a bunch of emails uh, in the last week or so um, on past episodes. Episode 13, uh, which was the episode on death and, um, you know, mortality. Got a couple great emails uh, I want to share with you. First, we have um, feedback from George I in response to episode 13. George I wrote... The episode reminded me a lot of the Ozymandias poem, which I think succinctly captures the meaning and impact of legacy. And George uh, actually included the poem here, so I'm going to recite it for you uh, briefly. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless lands of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand. Half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. 
Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So George, very interesting um, comparison there between the Ozymandias poem and the um, messaging of my episode on death. And I, of course, um, which I may or may not have mentioned, was a, a big fan of Breaking Bad, um, one of my favorite all-time shows. And, you know, Breaking Bad entitled uh, their second or third to last episode, Ozymandias, and one of my favorites. Um, and Ozymandias, of course, as, as the poem uh, details, had the arrogance to believe that, you know, the power that he possessed could, could um, you know, induce fear in everyone exposed him. Like he says, my name is Adi, king of kings, look on my works and despair. Um, and there's certainly irony in, in the poem um, because he's conveying that he's so powerful that no other king could surpass him. Um, but I think to Becker's point about legacy building and how, you know, we're trying to overcome the existential crisis by focusing on our, our immortal selves rather than our mortal bodies, I think that the poem embodies that. The you know the 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 uh, tone and the theme of the poem embodies that nicely. So interesting that you picked that out, George. I appreciate the email. Another note here from Philip B. In response to episode thirteen, Philip writes: the idea that we repress the fear of death was an interesting concept, and to some extent more cultural. I feel like societies in the past glorified death to a much greater extent than we do today. Huh. I had already read the subtle art of not giving a fuck, but its idea of accepting death in order to live life fit into the episode nicely. The alternative death, uh, the alternative to death is to live forever, and that seems much more frightening. Would have been interesting to hear you touch on that in the episode. Otherwise, great job. Okay, so so I agree with you with what you said about the cultural, um, the fear of death being cultural. I, I did kind of in, like qualify the argument by saying that there's a Western bias, a Western slant to the discussion. Um, but certainly, I think if you bring in cultural or religious connotations, you know, you you definitely have past societies. Um, glorifying death, as Philip, as you mentioned, um, you know, dying nobly, dying for a nation. You know, the, the Japanese committed seppuku um, in order to, uh, you know, fall on their sword. Um, you know, in an honorable fashion, um, dying. You know, for obviously with the Crusades, dying for a religious cause or in name of of your God. Um, so, in some ways, you know, maybe these societies didn't fear death or didn't repress the fear of death um, might be interesting in a future episode to kind of examine religious, um, you know, the differences in, in how different religions view death. And certainly, as you said, living immortally, I think, might have been another interesting perspective to delve deep into because we didn't really talk about I mean, I guess when, when we talk about aging next week and how life expectancies are, are growing and people who once lived to be 70 or 80 are now going to have to grapple with, you know, potentially living into the hundreds, having great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Like, we, we will be exploring that a little bit, but certainly I think the question of 
would you live forever? I mean, we have this repressed fear of death that many of us don't acknowledge, and we have that psychological defense mechanism preventing us from really facing that and allowing us to live with a degree, a modicum of comfort, as Becker said. But if if we did bring that out in the open and we were able to cast it aside and say, we never have to die, not only will our minds be immortal, but you know we won't have this duality existing, our bodies will be immortal as well, would we be able to to cope with that. I don't know. I mean, it might be something with anti-aging. Um, and I talk about homo deuce in, in the next episode, uh, about how the next big, um, uh, you know, obstacle for humans to overcome will be mortality. Uh, so certainly interested. There's a lot of interesting angles to, to look at there, Philip. I appreciate you mentioning that we might go back to that in the future. Um, one more email here uh, is from Susan. This is actually Ian Crowther's mother. Ian was a guest last week in the episode, episode 15 on language, um, relationships, and movies. And Susan wrote, Hey, Ricky and Ian, I listened to the whole podcast and loved it. Here are a few of my thoughts. I think learning the English language is the most difficult. There's so many ways to interpret the meaning of a word or phrase. Have you seen the comedian monologue about the word shit? So many different meanings. I actually watched that, Susan. I appreciate the um, the recommendation. I watched that with, with Ian. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's very, very funny. The monologue on the guy who was on Conan talked about how ass could mean a million different things in the English language. Um, if you say half-ass, it means you're lazy. If you say like nice piece of ass, it means someone's attractive. If you say, um, you know, big ass deal, it doesn't really add meaning. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I agree with you. The English language is really confusing and makes no sense. Um, Susan writes, does Dothraki count as one of the 6,500 languages? That's a Game of Thrones reference. I don't get that. Um, Bruce and I, I mean Mark, have a five-year age difference, not four. Uh, women live longer than men, so in order to have a companion when they are older, they might want to marry a younger man. I think women have more stamina. Okay. Uh, Ricky asked Ian who he saw Wolf of Wall Street with. We both got reactions from his friends and mine. Again, loved listening. We'll tune in again. Okay. So women live longer than men. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to we're gonna touch on that when we talk about life expectancy. So you're saying, you're arguing, devil's advocate here, that women should marry someone um, younger because even though men mature faster, women will be around longer. So that is a different perspective. Maybe women, when they're middle-aged and they're, you know, 40s and 50s, might look to marry a younger man. But I still think, you know, and Ian and I touched on this, when you're getting to the point where you're looking for a serious relationship, a woman at 32 is going to be, or a woman at 28 is going to be way more advanced and way more um, mentally, you know, prepared for that. Uh, commitment than a man at 28. A man at 28, a woman at 28 is more more synonymous with a man at like 35. So anyway, uh, Susan, really great, really great notes. Um, appreciate you listening and and thanks um, for to Philip and George also for the the wonderful emails. Keep sending those those notes and guys. Nervousabspodcast at gmail um, and let me know you know your thoughts, opinions, questions, um, or you know DM on Instagram at nervousabspodcast. So. I've talked a lot about health at various points in um, the first 15 episodes. And of course, I always have to include the caveat, the um, qualification here that I'm not a licensed medical professional and you shouldn't um, take anything what I'm saying as absolute fact or certainty. I I cite 
um, you know, academic sources and and uh, literature as much as I can. Um, but certainly, you know, if you're if you have suffering from chest pains and and stinging in your chest, do not you know uh, email me at, at Nervous Habits Podcast. I would I would call call nine one one or speak to a licensed medical professional. Um, so there are so many doctors out there, guys, and most most of my friends know that I'm something of a hypochondriac. Um, I like to think I'm just hypervigilant when it comes to regulating my health, but I am, you know, there, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's people who maybe go to the doctor way more than they need to if they have, an, you know, a rash on their back or an itch. Um, they immediately book an appointment with the dermatologist to get it looked at, whereas folks, you know, some, some people will have serious, um, you know, skin uh, contusions or, or skin maladies for seven, eight years and say, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. So, you know, there's definitely a spectrum, and I think what's important for us to to discuss now is, you know, is, is one end of the spectrum, is either end of the spectrum um, disadvantageous? You know, do you have to lie in the middle? Is it good to be hypervigilant? Is it good to, you know, not be um, worrying excessively about those things? And the truth is, there, there's just so many, um, so many different doctors, it's almost impossible to to stay on top of all of the different bodily systems because everyone knows you have your primary care doctor. That's the guy that you go to when you don't feel good. You're you're throwing up, food poisoning, maybe you, you got a stomach bug, uh, you know, a head cold, what have you. You're going to go to your PCP. But then you have your specialty doctors. You know, and most of these you've heard of, some of them you haven't. You have your cardiologist looks at your heart, your pulmonologist looks at your lungs, your allergist, your immunologist will deal with if you have any serious allergies. Dermatologist is your skin, radiologist you have your uh, family doctor, your uh, neurologist for your brain, your gynecologist and urologist for your, you know, uh, male and female parts, ophthalmologist for the eyes, your psychiatrist, um, your oncologist, and that's just the tip of the ice, uh, iceberg. I mean, you you, have, you also have diagnosticians if you have no idea what you have, um, and and you know you have you have to see those guys. Um, there's I don't think I mentioned podiatrists and dentists. I mean, most people my age, I'm 27 years old, probably have not been to most, if any, of those doctors. The way I live my life, um, and I got this from my dad. Uh, my dad is a little bit of a hypochondriac. It's almost as if I have a bingo board, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, going to the uh, the urologist or the, um, you know, the, the cardiologist, and I'm xing off the spot on my board. Um, okay, like I've been to this one, and. You know, you could argue that you have no reason to go to many of these doctors. I mean, if if you're in good health, um, and you know, I hope that all of my listeners are healthy, and your families and friends are, are are healthy, and you never have anything to worry about, any reason to go to them. But I'm not saying if it's a Tuesday night, you know, Tuesday afternoon, and work is a little slow, you should say, oh, you know, I might as well go to the pulmonologist, make sure that uh, my lung capacity is good. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, if if you're in good health, you don't necessarily need to visit all these specialists. But again, um, I'm a little bit on the extreme end of the spectrum. The average, the national average for visits to the doctor is four times a year. Um, so that would be, you know, once every three months, pretty much seasonal. Um, and that's all doctors, guys. That's not just your PCP. That's your PCP um, as well as your, you know, dermatologist or cardiologist. Again, being on the extreme end of the spectrum, I, I probably average maybe like two visits a month, three visits if I'm feeling a little antsy, which comes out to like 30 visits a year. And, you know, this is going to come in as no surprise, but 
there are certainly times in your life when you go to the doctor more than others. I mean, babies visit the doctor several times in the first you know year of their lives. Most babies will average nine visits a year. Um, pregnant women, you know, will see their doctor every four weeks or so, depending on the, the stage of pregnancy they're in. Then there's people with risk factors. People with high blood pressure might need to see the doctor four to five times a year to make sure medications are working correctly. Uh, people with serious conditions like cancer uh, might make frequent visits during treatment like chemotherapy. Um, people undergoing dialysis will visit the doctor several times a week. So you really have to consider, you know, when you're taking a bird's eye view of how often should you be visiting your doctors and your specialists, you know, where are you at in terms of are you suffering from a serious disease or an illness? But let's say, again, that you're in great health um, and, you know, you, you really don't have, um, you know, much uh, that's troubling you in terms of your, your physical well-being. How often should you see your primary care doctor or your other specialist? Because isn't it a waste of time? Prima facie, isn't it a waste of time and money to run to all these doctors if you don't have any symptoms? I mean, you know, let's say you have decent health insurance. You're still paying thirty to fifty dollars in, in copay, maybe more. Um, and not to mention the time involved, having to book an appointment. That's fine, but then you go to the waiting room. Sometimes you wait an hour, then you're seeing the doctor, and of course you don't see the doctor right away. You got to see the nurse, and you got to see the medical <laughs> the medical student. And I've had some real nightmares, um, nightmare doctors. So I guess you know the point is, you know. It's an investment, and the question is, is, is it, you know, is it worth it? Because I'm sure most of you know, a lot of people wait until there's a crisis before you call the doctor. You know, you wait until something's wrong for treatment, when in reality, prevention is the key. And you've all heard stories, friends and family, people who, you know, are, don't detect something, don't detect a mole or, you know, a, a skin mark uh, until it's too late. But in many cases, early detection of a health issue can actually save lives. I mean, one-third of all heart attack victims have no warning whatsoever. A stroke can be caused by blockage. Um, I mentioned a mole that looks benign could be an early warning sign for skin cancer. So the bottom line is that regular checkups can detect conditions early and can absolutely save your life. And you have to really calculate the cost and the benefit. Yes, there's a cost to investing the time and money that I spoke of, but the potential benefit, guys, especially if your, uh, you know, your risk factors are high, if you are overweight, obese, if you don't exercise, if you don't eat well, if you're older in age, if, if your genetics, all this swirls together. That's why, you know, doctors take, you know, intake, um, your intake when you go to the doctor and they immediately ask, do you have a history of, you know, um, heart disease or cancer? And they're asking about all, you know, all these things because they want to get a sense of what, you know, if we were to quantify your risk on a scale of one to 10, are you a 10? Do you have, uh, you know, a history of all of these diseases in your family? Are you a one? Are you healthy? Your genetics are good. You're, you know, you're, you're slim. You're not overweight. You don't smoke. You don't drink. So again, it's a spectrum. I'm on the extremely vigilant side of the spectrum. If anything's bothering me at all, I go to the doctor, no, que- no questions asked. Um, i 27 years old and I have a personal cardiologist, personal dermatologist. Uh, my dad is the same way. And I have friends my age who I, I asked him when was the last time you went to the dentist? They say, oh, I've been to the dentist since I was a kid. Um, and I get it. I, I, I get it because the doctors, another thing to consider is the doctors can't really do a lot. If you have um, a, you know, an upper respiratory infection. This is something that um, I get once in a while. I had one earlier this year. There's not a whole lot a doctor will do for a virus. You know, a lot they can do besides 
taking your your you know your vitals and providing reassurance um and that's why i think culturally when you go to the doctor a lot of times they feel like they need to justify you visiting them so that without their prescription pad and they'll write you some you know anti antibacterial or antiviral excuse me antibiotics or antiviral in order to to make your visit worth it and that's you know that's really a an american problem i feel a western problem where you know people will be paying these astronomical uh, copays and your insurance if you look at by the way if you look at your insurance um you you get like a um a uh, letter in the mail and it says your visit cost x amount let's say like twelve hundred dollars your insurance company is paying eleven hundred your deductible is you know this amount is is going to the deductible and this amount you're responsible for with the copay it's incredible how much one quick doctor's visit will cost the the medical office and cost the insurance company the medical office will cause will you know charge the insurance company and in order to justify that in order to make it feel make you feel like you've actually gotten something out of it the doctor how many times have you heard this guys if if you're if you're like me and you go to the doctor a lot how many times have you heard your doctor examine you go oh you know what i i think you're fine i think everything's great if you know i'm gonna write your prescription just in case just in case you know you feel a little nauseous later i'm gonna write you just in case you need it here's a prescription and they're doing that because they want to make you feel like you got something because yes, the peace of mind is great. You go to the dermatologist, you get your full body check and no, no issues. Yeah, that's great. You walk out with a smile on your face. Oof, I dodged a b-. But you know, you also kind of feel like, hmm, like I'm, I'm not actually getting any treatment. He just looked at me and it was, there was no cause for concern. And that, that's what I'm paying $50 out of pocket, not to mention, you know, 1200 to the insurance company for. So I think the doctors nowadays will use the uh, prescription pad to just for that visit. So let's go back to the beginning, to the open, because because the question was, how often should you go to the doctors? Well, the U.S. News and World Health um, actually recommends an annual physical once a year. For many of you, this is common sense. Um, if you're at a, a corporation or um, you know a business, usually they send the HR department sends like a memo once a year that everyone's required to have an annual physical submitted. Um, your immunization forms, your certifications. The doctor will usually check your height and weight and your vitals. Again, your vitals include blood pressure, heart rate, respiration rate, sometimes temperature. And you're entitled to an annual physical once a year. This is, you know, if, if, if you're uh, if you're frugal out there, if you're like, I don't want to go to the doctor, it's too expensive. There's no copay, guys. If you have insurance, um, you're entitled to one annual physical a year. Absolutely no copay. So squeeze in those questions. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to the doctor, I like to absolutely grill, <laughs> grill them, especially for the annual physical when, when it's it's almost free. You know, you say, hey, doctor, you know, I'm, I'm on a fitness plan. What do you recommend for this? Hey, doctor, you know, is X or Y uh, a healthier food option? Um, hey, doctor, you know, I'm, I'm having this problem with my stool. Um, you know, I, get, get creative. My, you know, I'm trying this allergy medicine. So really pump the doctor with questions. You want to squeeze as much information out of them as you possibly can. Um, and you can do that th- during your annual physical. And listen, even if you're in really good health, and you don't drink or smoke, you you know exercise, you eat well, there's really no downside to, at the minimum, going once a year to the doctor. Because the worst case scenario is they're going to tell you, okay, everything looks great. Or excuse me, the best case scenario. The worst case scenario, they're going to say, wait a second, your, your blood pressure is a little high. You should watch your cholesterol. The annual physical, usually they do blood tests as well. 
And the blood test is really great because you get the, the lipid panel. They take a look at your um, your cholesterol levels and they can tell you, hey, like, you know, you, you're really um, eating too many fried foods, too many greasy foods. Make sure you, you know, swap in instead of the fried chicken, some baked chicken, some roast, you know, grilled chicken. No doubt, you know, very little downside to at the very least doing what the U.S. News and World Health um, Organization says and checking, uh, getting that annual physical once a year. Besides going to the primary care doctor, I mentioned all those specialists. I really believe that everyone should go to the dermatologist once a year for a full body skin test. Um, And the reality is that in America, every hour, one American dies of melanoma. Um, And that's the deadliest and rarest form of skin cancer. Um, The the Mayo Clinic um, says that there are two types of skin cancer that are increasing in 2019 at a startling rate among women. And I'll include uh, the link for that in here. That's why it's so important. If I haven't mentioned, uh, gone on my spiel about skincare yet, it's so important to use sunscreen every day. And I'm listen. I'm just. I'm not a medical professional. I'm regurgitating what what you know my dermatologist has said to me. Um, not not only for aging to minimize aging, but to prevent skin cancer. Get yourself an SPF 50, um, SPF you know 40, 50, whatever the you know one of those one of the highest ones, and. Put it, you know, whenever you're going to be outside for an extended period of time, put it on your face, put it on any part of your skin that's exposed. And skincare screenings, you guys, are as easy as just going into a dermatologist's office, having them check your body for any suspicious moles or indications of cancer. And it can be life-changing, you know, life-saving, you know, if, especially if someone has a history of skin cancer or first-degree relative with a history of skin cancer. There's, there's really no alternative. You know, you can look at yourself in the mirror every once in a while and, you know, look at, look at yourself without clothes on and and see if you have any suspicious moles. Um, but there's no alternative to having a, a, you know, a a skin doctor actually take a thorough look. And again, cost benefit analysis, guys, best case. Oh, you're fine. Once over 60 seconds. Okay. $50 copay out the window. The insurance company gets billed, but your insurance is there for a reason, you know, like use it. And that's my, that's my philosophy. That's probably why I see so many doctors. Worst case scenario, guys, which is also kind of the best case is they find a mole, they do a biopsy, they say, okay, this is, you know, uh, malignant, but we found it early enough and, you know, we're going to, we're going to do an, an operation or whatever, um, you know, whatever needs to be done, um, for, an, uh, you know, something that's found early and you're going to be out of the woods. So the worst case is even kind of a best case. Um, so that, you know, it is recommended the Mayo Clinic to go to the dermatologist once a year for that full body skin test. I would say if I were to like rank, I'm going to kind of go through these in order. Number one, annual physical main doctor and then diving into the specialty, go to the uh, dermatologist once a year. Third, if you're sexually active, if you have multiple partners, you really should go to, in addition to your PCP, um, go to a gynecologist, urologist for uh, annual STD, STI screenings. Many STDs and STIs are asymptomatic. You don't even know that you have them and they can get worse over time. Um, So definitely, you know, not only you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting other people at risk if you don't go to the, uh, you know, go to your specialist, the uh, gynecologist or the urologist to get the annual, um, at least annual, Some sometimes they say, um, you know, twice a year for the STD, STI blood panel. Or if you just want to go to your um, your primary care doctor, when you do your annual physical, just tell them, listen, you're going to do the, the lipid panel for uh, check on my cholesterol and, and all those levels. Just, you know, why don't you just check the box for STD, STI? Um, you know, kill two birds with one stone. So definitely, I think that's important. 
Maybe the most important doctor to go to regularly isn't even a doctor at all. I mean, depending on who you ask. The dentist, you guys. The dentist. You should be going for x-rays and cleanings at least twice a year. I mentioned I have friends who haven't gone to the dentist since they were kids. And look, dental insurance is... It's, it's hard to come by. I mean, nowadays, if you're over 26, you're not covered by your parents. A lot a lot of jobs don't even offer dental insurance. Um, it's, it's so secondary. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I brush my teeth every day. You know, I floss once in a blue moon. I have no pain or sensitivity. What's the point? And there is a lot of literature out there. Um, and, and I'm going to link a, a bunch of it here on really the the benefits and the reasons why you, you have to be going to the dentist regularly. The first one is you really have to do it to avoid dental issues like tooth decay and gum problems because these issues may seem minor at first, but they can lead to more serious problems and even major dental concerns down the line. So regular visits can help you in diagnosing and treating those condi- uh, conditions. Case in point, I had some like mild gum recession, um, which you know c- kind of was able to, to tell a, a little bit of cold sensitivity from uh, drinking like orange juice or something or, or eating ice cream. But I kind of ignored it and then I went to my doctor. The doctor said, hey, listen, if you don't, you know, ease up on brushing too hard with the with the hard bristles, you're going to, you know, have your gums recede until they're not there anymore, right? And now I use these ultra-sensitive toothbrushes. I'm not going to not gonna name the, the brand because they're not a sponsor. But I'm um, – and now the problem has largely dissipated. So – Again, like like early diagnosis of these issues is important, um, as well as diagnosis of severe uh, dental disease. I mentioned cancers, oral cancers. According to the National Institute of Health, 30,000 Americans suffer from oral cancers uh, each year. So early diagnosis of oral cancers can save your life. Gum disease, I mentioned. And clean teeth. I mean, you know, yes, you, you probably remember to brush twice a day, but a lot of people don't floss. And it's almost stressful when you go into your, your dentist's office and you get railroaded immediately. The hygienist is like, oh, like you didn't floss. Like I, I told you. And you really have to learn how to floss the correct way. Um, the hygienist will you know, show you that. They'll remove the, the dental plaque and the tartar. Um, and that stuff, guys, that stuff, if you leave it untreated, is just going to eat away at your enamel um, and cause problems, cavities down the line. And you know, no one's perfect. I'm sure you guys have had, um, you know, nights where you're really tired and maybe you fall asleep without brushing your teeth because I've been there. Uh, and then you wake up, you're like, shit, I didn't brush. I mean, it's it's really, really, it's it's so egregious to fall asleep without brushing your teeth. Um, Dr. Mark Burhan actually says it's like uh, going to bed with poop in your mouth. Um, and that's something you, you might have heard before. And that's, it's true. I mean, anytime you have a meal, the bacteria that naturally exists in your mouth will feed on the food stuck between your teeth, particularly the sugars. They love sugars. The bacteria creates waste. The waste is acidic and can break down tooth enamel, causing cavities or worse. So frequent cleanings will reduce the overall bacterial load in your mouth, uh, lead, leading to less gum bleeding and fewer cavities. So I guess my point is, um, and the literature absolutely backs me up, Going to the dentist once or twice a year shouldn't be something that you do if, if you like feel like it. If you have time. that, that should be paramount. Um, definitely up there with the annual physicals. And of course, ophthalmology. I mean, getting getting the eye exam uh, is is huge. You know, back in the day, I mean, before computers, when people were spending their their days reading books or you know shifting through paperwork, 
uh, the, degrade, uh, the degradation of your eyesight wasn't as um, serious of an issue. But nowadays, uh, if you look generationally, you know, people are spending their hours just uh, sitting, you know, sitting behind a computer screen, just staring at their phones for hours and hours on end. And, you know, the American Opt- Optometric Association has done a lot of research on this. And they found that if you look at generationally what's been happening to um, you know, millennials and people nowadays compared to baby boomers and, and folks in uh, prior generations, the rate of, um, you know, of decline for our vision is is much deeper. The eye strain, um, the blue light you've probably, you know, uh, read a lot about from the cell phones, especially before um, bedtime, it's causing, you know, uh, serious harm to um, to the light, and there's, there's uh, to your eyes, and there's a lot that you can do that to prevent damage to the retina and to to, to prevent vision loss. But um, I guess the the bare bones thing that you can do is uh, go to the ophthalmologist every year, um, get your eye exam, and make sure that you know your if you have glasses or contact lenses, your prescriptions up to date, because all that straining is only going to cause long term damage. Um, and you know, there's, I went to an ophthalmologist once and he told me, and this is, by the way, this is the benefit of going to all these doctors is you get all these nuggets <laughs> that I'm sharing with you. He told me, uh, there's a rule called 20 feet, um, 20 minutes, 20 feet, 20 seconds, where if you sit behind a computer desk every 20 minutes, you should stare 20 feet away for 20 seconds long. And that's absolutely true in that you, you really shouldn't stare at the same you know, screen. I mean, even if you're blinking a lot, you got to change your your uh, your visual input in order to reduce eye strain. And you can do that by staring 20 feet away for 20 seconds every 20 minutes. And of course, with blue light. Um, I mean, look, how many times have we said this? Like, don't don't use your cell phones before bed. And if you're gonna do it, um, put it on night mode. That's a uh, a setting in the iPhones. Put it on night mode. Um, and like, don't have that be the last thing that you look at before you go to bed. That's just, I mean, psychologically, that's that's messed up. But also, that's that's no good for your eyes. And lastly, the last specialist that I wanna I wanna mention is mental health. And this is something we've talked about at length in episode seven. Holly and I talked about going, um, you know, prioritizing treatment and diagnosis with psychologists and licensed mental health specialists. Even if you feel, you know, great. I think there is value to going to the psychologist to check in, maybe not every year, maybe every couple of years, just to kind of take a step back and see, you know, how are you mentally, how are you emotionally. Therapy, I am a firm advocate that therapy is healthy for everyone. You know, even if even if life is great, everyone can, everyone could use someone to talk to um, who will listen, uh, who will provide objective, um, unabashed, uh, you know, um, advice and, and counsel. Uh, and I, I love therapy. I miss therapy. I haven't been in therapy in quite some time. Um, so definitely mental health specialists are, are key as well. And to answer, to go back to the initial question, to, to answer the, the uh, issue of, is there such a thing as going too often? Because we've, we've talked about all the different specialists and how often you should be going to them. I would say, and a lot of people say, yes, you know, doing anything too often is, is, um, is obsessive and, and hypochondria could worsen the disease. And of course there's psychosomatic diseases. There's people who think that they have a pain in their chest when really it's their brain assigning the physiological uh, sensation when really it's just, it's not like they're making it up, but it's, it's, it's exacerbated by their, their mind. 
But I, I firmly believe that if you have a solid insurance plan, if you can afford the $40, $50 copays, you absolutely should go to the doctor just to put your mind at ease. Because again, the cost balance analysis, best case scenario, clean bill health, worst case scenario, which is actually the best case scenario, they find something and they nip it in the bud right away. And I just think that's so much, that's so much more preferable to people on the other end of the extreme. You have friends or family who they, you know, refuse to go to the doctor because they can't afford it or um, they, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they're afraid. They're afraid that the doctor is going to tell them, you know, you have a lump in your breast and we really should get that biopsy because it could be breast cancer or, you know, you have, um, you know, your, your white blood cell counts are irregular, your, your T cell counts, and that could be lymphoma. I mean, and this, this gets into, you know, we were talking about death and, and mortality. I mean, denial, uh, it's scary to face reality. Um, if, if you're one of those people who hasn't been to the doctor very often and you're, you're scared and you're terrified of what might come up, but in the long run, you know, there's no alternative, whether you go or you don't, the the cancer, the, the disease is still going to be there. And for your friends, for your family, book an appointment, you know, go with someone you love and trust and just deal with it as early as you can. Um, because it's not going to get better over time. It's likely going to get worse. So as I mentioned, um, definitely think that there's merit to going to the, the primary care doctor as well as the specialist that I mentioned uh, regularly. And hey, you know, if you, if you got that insurance, there's no maximum. Just just keep going. Um, keep going and, and you know, t- t- take care of that. So I've spoken a lot about fitness um, on the pod. Back in episode three, I talked about cardio. That was a fun, um, a fun segment. I haven't really d- talked about it since. Uh, and as someone who works out regularly, I-, I think that, excuse me, this is a booming industry in America because of wearable tech. Things like, I mean, I, I think it's a perfect storm. Number one, I think you have wearable tech. You have things like the Fitbit um, and your iPhone's tracking your steps and, and your calories burned. Wearable tech is a thing. The second factor is like Instagram and, and the social, the curating an image on social media. Everyone's posting pictures of swimsuits and, you know, working out and looking fit. And I think that's, there's an added social pressure to look your best. And this is all creating the perfect storm where it seems like everyone works out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, 27, so I don't know how it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but it seems like now 2019, everybody is working out. Everybody's fit. Personal training is, is, you know, I would say that industry is certainly uh, booming. So I'll give you the, the Ricky Rosen, uh, spiel on building a workout routine in my opinion. And I've worked with personal trainers, not, not really anyone for an extended period of time, but I've worked with one or two personal trainers for a little bit. Um, I've done a lot of reading uh, literature online about um, you know the physiology and the biology of muscle growth. Um, tried to educate myself on that in order to build my plan. Read a lot on supplements. Worked with you know um, friends who are athletes or former athletes, and kind of like taken all this information in like a sponge, consolidated it, and created a workout plan for me, which I'll share with you. But. The first thing that you need to do is you need to kind of set a goal. And this is this is common sense. I mean, if you work with any personal trainer, before you even hit the gym, they're going to come up to you with a clipboard, a pen and paper, and they're going to say, you know, what's your goal? What do you want to look like? Do you want to, you know, put on muscle? Do you want to lose fat? Do you want to bulk up? Do you want to tone down? Do you want to gain weight? Do you want to lose weight? 
you know, if you are gaining weight or excuse me, if you are losing weight, what's your target range? Do you want to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds? And really sculpt out, um, pun intended, sculpt out what your ideal workout plan is. And that's going to help your personal trainer or whoever you're working for yourself um, figure out exactly, you know, what, what the timeline is and what your plan should look like. And I'm a big proponent, you guys, of writing everything down. I mean, I was, when I first started working out, I was one of those nerds at the gym that had like a little notepad and I would like, I would write down my, my sets. Um, so a set, okay. So let's say you're doing, um, let's say you're doing curls. A curl is essentially a bicep exercise. Let's say you have a dumbbell and uh, you have two dumbbells and you're doing a, a, a set of curls. Uh, a rep would be the number of curls that you do. So let's say you do 10 reps is 10 times that you're curling in each arm. A set is the total number of reps. So you do one set of 10 reps would be 10 total reps. Two sets of 10 reps would be 20 total reps. Three sets of 10 reps is 30 total reps. Just like basic <laughs> terminology. So, so, you know, if you're um, starting at a different level, you can understand. Um, so essentially, I was one of these nerds that carried around a little notebook and I would write down like, you know, if I was doing arms one day, I'd write down like, you know, three sets of 10 reps at 20 pounds, two sets of six reps at 25 pounds, one set of four reps at 60 pounds, you know, whatever it is in order to document my progress. And you can do it on your phone too. Notes is really useful in order to write down, you know, weight and, um, and what you're doing. But essentially the important takeaway is don't rely on your memory, especially when you're starting out in order to, you know, you know, to process the workout because eventually once you've been working out long enough, you can walk up to a squat machine and say, all right, I'm starting with, you know, uh, 225, I'm going to do 245, 275. But really when you're starting out, don't be afraid to write everything down. And the important thing, the, the, the centerpiece of our discussion has to be calorie deficit. And I mentioned this several times before, but if you're working out, you really need to, assuming your goal is to lose weight, to cut, um, you really need to make sure that you're burning enough calories. And we talked all about cardio, but cardio is not the only way to burn calories. Weightlifting, resistance training, um, uh, working out specific body parts, all of that will burn just as many calories as cardio will. Um, if you're bulking up, uh, essentially, it's the opposite. You need a surplus of calories. And that doesn't mean, you know, there's a dirty bulk. A dirty bulk means you're just eating, you know, fried food and and uh, and burgers and, and wings. We eat whatever you want to put on calories. And then there's a clean bulk, which is really what you want. And that's where you're actually, you know, eating lean meats and proteins and whole grains and fibers in order to have a calorie surplus. So no matter whether you're cutting weight or you're bulking up, you still, in my opinion, this is this is the Ricky Rosen fitness regimen. In my opinion, you should still divide um, part by part. Because when I first started working out, I would you know go into the gym and do everything on the same day. I'd work out my legs and my arms and my shoulders, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then I uh, was sore, and then I said, okay, I feel sore. I'm gonna do the same thing the next day. And what I found out is. I had a lot of muscle soreness and I really didn't see results. And that's because every body part has hundreds of, of sub parts and sub muscles and movements targeting specific areas. And you're not going to be able to hit all that in one day. That's way too ambitious, even if you had five hours. And if you, if you did hit that in one day, it's really only going to be targeting the surface. It's only going to be hitting like the basic, you know, on the macro level muscles. But 
you need to be targeting specific uh, muscles and specific movements on each body part. So, you know, the main parts of the body that you that you want to be looking at working out, there's the back, there's the chest. So those are contrasting groups, the back and the chest. There's biceps and triceps. Biceps are the muscles that when you uh, curl that are uh, contracting and expanding, when you release the curl, the triceps expand. So curl up and the uh, the contracting muscles will be the bicep. When you reverse the curl, the, contra- the contracting muscles will be the triceps. So they're um, re- the reverse opposite movements for the bicep and triceps. So back and chest, the bicep, tricep, the legs, of course, the legs are, you know, you have your quad, you have your calf, you have your glute. Um, you know, so the legs have, have different parts. You have your abdominal muscles, your shoulders, um, and I think that's it. So back, chest, bicep, tricep, legs, abdominal, shoulders. And each, again, each body part you can break down into specific um, specific workout, workouts targeting different movements. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're setting a plan, five days a week is great because if you do it too little, then you're not maximizing your, uh, your workout. If you do it like two days a week, um, Monday and Thursday, for example, that's too much rest and you're not, you, you, you know, you're not getting the gains, so to speak, as you could. Um, or, you know, the reverse, if you're trying to cut, then you're not, you know, losing as much as you could. And if you do seven days a week, guys, that would over fatigue your muscles. Um, the key is rest. And, you know, this is going to be a theme uh, for me. And, you know, if you have friends that work out or personal trainers, it's rest that makes you stronger because it's rest that allows your muscles that you've broken down to heal, to heal and recover. Rest is pivotal. Um, you know, when you're building muscle, essentially you have all these micro tears in your muscle that are, uh, you know, that need to be, re- the tissues need to be repaired and altered. And that doesn't take place when you're at the gym lifting weights. That takes place when you go home and you sleep. So it's imperative that you don't work out seven days straight, um, that you don't go to the gym and, you know, do a set of, of pull-ups and then immediately do uh, a set of barbell curls and then immediately hop on the bench and do um, you know chest press. You cannot do that, you guys. You're going to burn the hell out. You need to give yourself at least, my rule is give yourself at least 60 seconds in between a set. So you do a set of um, skull crushers. That, that's a tricep exercise. Uh, you do 10 reps of skull crushers with you know 60 pounds. Give yourself 60 seconds of rest. Then you're going to do 10 rep, uh, you know, set of 10 reps of skull crushers, 70 pounds, give yourself 60, maybe 90 seconds. More rest is not a bad thing either, right? Um, and what that's going to do, just, you know, that's going to make your workouts long. I tell people that I go to the gym um, and I'm there for two, two to three hours. People don't believe me. People are like, what the hell are you doing for three hours? You, you know, socializing, you're watching Netflix. No, I'm, I'm doing a decent amount of lifting and running and what have you, but I'm separating with rest to give my muscles time to uh, to heal. And that, you know, sometimes when people blow through their workouts, they're not maximizing the their potential lift. So rest is is key. I want to emphasize that. Um, again, a, a sample workout, a seven-day workout. So I'll give you like what I do. Um, on the first day of the week, so let's say the first day is Monday. So I would do like a back uh, back and biceps. I would pair those together and I'll let you know what those will look like. Second day, I'll de- devote just to legs um, because again, the legs are an important muscle and you know you can break them down into, in, into quads, calves, um, glutes. Then you have cardio and abs day three. Um, that's going to be a heavy cut day. Um, so a lot of running um, and abdominal exercises. On the fourth day is, is is a break. So that would be Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Thursday. Because 
more than three days in a row, and you're going to get that fatigue. And again, the rest is pivotal. The fifth day, Friday, would pair chest and triceps because a lot of the uh, the exercises that you're using the chest for, like the bench um, or the chest press or the dumbbell press um, or the flies, a lot of that also works out, your your triceps. So you pair them together. Day six is shoulders, um, and we're going to get into what that looks like. And day seven can either be break if you're doing a five-day workout um, on Sunday, or you can do like a light run or stretch. And stretching, that's another thing that's going to add um, a lot of time is stretching before and after your workouts um, in order to, you know, make sure that you're, um, you know, that you're not going to pull a muscle. Because the reality is if you're going to do, you know, a, a five, six-day workout plan, you guys, and you're lifting, you're trying to, you know, go for those gains, um, you're going to be sore. And soreness is a good thing because that means your muscles have been pushed to their limit and all that repair uh, and that tissue, you know, that's happening under the hood. And that's a good thing if you have that that muscle soreness the next day you wake up and you're tired. Um, but the key is you know too much uh, too much soreness is obviously a bad thing. And also um, when you're sore, you really need to stretch out those muscles, especially if you're going to work them out again. And take a foam roller. Foam rollers are great. Um, and lie down on the mats at your gym and you know uh, run the full the foam roller lacrosse ball over the area um, just to kind of relieve that um, that sensation. All right, so I'm eating up. I'm eating up a lot of time speaking in generalities. So let me let me get specific here. So if you're doing a day one like a back and bicep pair, um, you have to kind of th- consider each part of the back. So you have like the delts, for example. The delts are if you're going to like put your arms out in front of you. I'm trying to like, and then you're going to uh, p- put your arms out in front of you and put them together. Like after you clap, you see how your arms are together. And now you pull them apart like you're giving someone a hug and you have both arms as far apart as possible and then you bring them together for a clap again. When you're pulling them apart, the muscles in your back that are contracting, those are your delt muscles. So you can work that uh, that out on a machine, um, a delt machine. Like if you're doing flies, um, reverse flies are delts. So you work out those muscles. Then you have like lat muscles. If you're doing a lat pull down um, or a pull up, a lat pull down is a very popular machine at the gym. Um, so you know you you get under a lat pull down machine, you're gonna do three or four sets of that. Um, so that is uh you know that's uh, that's a key one as well. Um, rowing machines are also key to working out your your lower back and your mid back. Um, rowing machines uh, at, at the gym. I'm not talking about the rowing machines where you sit down and you're you know rowing for 20, 30 minutes. I'm talking about the machines where um, you there's the metal bar, you're sitting down, and you have to actually pull the weight in towards you. Um, those are a little bit more preferable to uh, rowing, especially if you're trying to, to gain muscle. So you want to do like, you know, three or four sets of that at um, whatever, whatever weight's good for you. And I can't sit here and tell you how much, you know, if you should start at 90 pounds, 100 pounds, because everyone's different. Right, like 100 pounds on a rowing machine um, might feel like it's way too much weight. You might only be able to do like one one rep of that. Um, but if you're more advanced, maybe 100's light, and 160 might be more your more your speed. So the backs you want to target the the lats, the delts, and, and and the rowing there, and then biceps. I mean, there's there's a ton of different exercises you could do with biceps aside from just straight bicep curls. Um, I mean, you can do uh, bicep curls, which I mentioned with dumbbells. Um, or bar, or uh, barbells. A barbell is like a, uh, instead of two separate dumbbells, it's like one long, um, one long bar, and you, it's handheld. And the key with the biceps, um, if you're doing a bicep exercise, is you want to have your inner bicep 
Um, so you put your hands close together for the bar on, on the barbell curl, and then work out your inner bicep uh, on the inside of your arm. And then if you move your hands a little further apart and you do a, a barbell curl, that's going to work out your outer bicep. When I first started working out, I thought bicep day would be just take dumbbells and do as many as you can to exhaustion. Absolutely not. You want to separate the inner and outer bicep by moving your hands further apart. And you can do that in the same set. You can do like one subset of 10 reps of a barbell inner inner, and then immediately do 10 outer, or you could do three sets of inner, three sets of outer, whatever works for you. So the, the bicep curls for, uh, for sure. Um, then you have the hammer curls where instead of doing, you, you know, for the bicep curl, your hands are flat and you're actually curling them in. The hammer curl, your hands are, are, are like a, like a, make a fist, like you're going <laughs> to pound like a hammer. Um, and you're actually, uh, you know, curling like that you know, th- that, that's going to work out a different part of your, uh, you know, bicep. Then there's the forearm bicep curl. That's so instead of, uh, okay. If you put your hands out in front of you, like outstretched and you're doing a bicep curl, a forearm curl would be, you put your hands, uh, with your palms facing down and you're actually bicep curling, uh, you know, moving your hands up instead of, um, like that. It's, it, this is really challenging. You guys, this is challenging to explain to you without uh, without without video. We might have to get some of these podcasts televised, especially for the fitness segments. So the hammer curls, the forearm curls, the, um, the bicep curls, uh, chin-ups, also great for um, for biceps. There's, gosh, there's so many things you can do with the, um, with the, with the, uh, with those those uh, free weight machines um, where you you know use the bicep handles as well. So that's back and bicep. Um, Want to kind of run through uh, legs really quickly. Uh, legs, I mean, you can do. Uh, so, so just so you guys know, for most of these days, I would say not, I would say you don't have to use machines. Um, machines can be a little bit. Uh, I, I don't want to say easier, but you're. Uh, what's difficult about a an exercise is form. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a, a gym rat, but form is everything. You know, it's better to have a low weight um, set with excellent form than a high weight set with shitty form because you want to make sure you're concentrating on the specific area of the muscle. So um, machines will kind of allow you to cheat a little bit because the machine's locking in the form. Like bicep curls where you're standing up or sitting down and you're doing a concentration curl on your leg is way harder and more challenging, more, uh, you know, fulfilling than sitting down at a bicep curl machine and actually having the machine almost like help you. Um, so legs is the only exercise where I think machines are useful because you can do the quad machine where you're actually kicking your legs out. Um, the hamstring machine where you're curling your legs in. Those are, those are key. The calf machine, you're actually uh, moving your calves up and down, sitting down uh, on that one. Um, the leg press machine is you really hit your, you, you know, your, your full leg. The glute machine, you're able to, to move your, your feet back, um, you know, work out your glute muscles. Um, and then, of course, the squat machine. Squatting is maybe the one of the best all-around exercises in working your whole body. Um, and squatting is another one where you really have to make sure you're doing perfect form. So go on YouTube. Um, don't be afraid to ask a friend, like you know, how to squat for both men and women. I think cutting uh, and um, gaining squats are are super super useful. And then there's a lot of leg exercises which I think are good without machines. So there's lunges are great um, where you're actually taking uh, weight in your hands and um, doing you know uh, I don't know how do you explain lunge without mentioning like um, you know you're you're walking and you're going to down to a knee with one leg and then you're taking a step forward and switching to the other leg and it's you know you're doing it with weight so making it more challenging step ups are maybe my favorite leg exercise because it's really hard you take uh what's called a 
box spring. I think it's called a box spring. It's that that um, <laughs> that like like platform, and you put one foot on the platform. Um, you say you put your left foot on the platform, um, and your right foot stays on the ground. And then for ten reps, you bring your right foot up as far as you possibly can until both feet are standing on the top of the platform, then you bring your right foot down. That's one. Then you bring it back up as far as possible, your right foot down. That's two. So you do 10 reps of that. That's a, that's a, a step up. Then there's all sorts of other things. You can get creative, take a, a kettlebell and um, just, you know, try to hold it at the bottom, you know, of, of your squat position for as long as possible. Um, the sledding is, is excellent, excellent for, uh, you know, work out all your legs. Very difficult. Um, so that's, that's, that's the leg day. Cardio and abs. I spoke a lot about the uh, value of sprinting rather than um, running in order to have that anaerobic respiration um, sprint for, you know, uh, two or three minute intervals um, and then jog for two or three minutes, sprint for, you know, a minute, jog for a minute um, rather than just jog for, for 45 minutes. That's how you really burn the most calories and see the most results. And then ab workouts. I could do a whole episode on ab workouts, but um, there's a lot of good resources online. For all of this, guys, don't be afraid to go on YouTube, on Facebook and Instagram, look up suggested workouts, try new things. Um, ab workouts in particular, I mean, you know, sit-ups alone, there's a million things you can do with sit-ups, integrating medicine balls and weight. Um, there are some good ab, mach- ab machines where you, uh, I think it's called like the captain's chair or something where you um, swing your legs up in the air. Um, there's the crunch machine, uh, obliques. Abs are another one. People think that, you know, it's just one muscle, your abdomen. No, there's, you know, the sides of your abdomen's obliques. That's certainly important, especially in the uh, the beach weather. We want to make sure that, that you're very toned in that area. So um, go over to the oblique machine. That's where you actually lean lean forward with some weight uh, on one side and, and come all the way back up. And then ab circuits. I mean, ab circuits, you know, I like to do at the end of my workouts where you go over to the mats and you, um, you know, you take a medicine ball. Medicine ball's really versatile for your ab circuits. And you're going to do leg lifts, okay? I, I think everyone here should, you know, might know what leg lifts are where you actually do like maybe 20 um, lying down on your back and, you know, your leg uh, legs will come up into the air. Uh, do that 20 times. Um, then you'll do bicycle kicks where you're actually, you know, uh, bringing your opposite leg, you're, you're, you know, you're lying on your back and you're bringing your left leg forward and your right arm and you're alternating the movements for, you know, 30, 45 seconds. Um, planks, everyone knows about. So uh, during an app circuit, you just integrate like seven, eight, nine of those. Um, and you can, you know, find more of those online. Maybe I'll include some resources. So that's that's the abs. Um, chest. So uh, chest is another one. You know, a lot of people just hit the bench, but um, there's even with the bench, I mean, um, rather than just, you know, doing three or four sets of, you know, X amount of pounds on the bench, um, there's different things you could do. I like to do um, on the bench, you can actually hold the weight down at the bottom towards your chest. Um, like if you're doing 135 pounds, which is like the base, um, you can hold it at the, at, at, you know, you know, to your chest for five seconds and explode up then hold it at the chest for five seconds and explode up. Um, all, the, all different uh, alterations. It's just hitting me now that this might be really boring for many of you. I'm like, I'm looking at the timestamp. We're almost at an hour. I'm like, I've spent 20, 25 minutes uh, just talking to these people about <laughs> exercises. So I hope hope some of you guys are getting something out of it. If not, then then just jump ahead to the last segment. Um, so for the chest, the bench is good. The incline bench. So there's the flat bench. We're actually lying on your back. The incline bench. We're actually at like a 45 degree angle, um, or you know, incline reverse, where you're at like a what would that be like a 135 degree angle? You're lying down instead of sitting up. Uh, flies I mentioned to work out your pecs, and then chest press with dumbbells is useful. 
Uh, and then triceps, much like with I talked about with the biceps, how um, you know there's there's all sorts of uh, different movements to target specific muscles. Same thing with triceps. You know, you can do um, the skull crushers I mentioned, where you're lying down and you're actually um, hinging the the weight on your triceps. So um, you're lying down on your back and you take the weight and instead of like with with um you know a bench press, instead of holding the the weight on your chest and pushing it up, you're gonna hold it right over your skull. And you're gonna hinge it backwards using your elbows and, and and hinges, almost like you're doing a reverse bicep curl. And you should feel that in your triceps. That's a skull crusher. Um, and then there's rope pull downs are are very good, um, as well as dips. Dips are dips are probably the the bare bones thing that you can do to work out your triceps. Um, so integrating those in. And of course, uh, you know the last muscle group that I mentioned, the shoulders, pretty standard. Just you know, uh, doing a, a military press where you hold the weight over your head like SpongeBob SquarePants, and you're just doing like um, you know 10, uh, 10 reps, three, four sets, whatever it is. You can do behind your behind your neck and then in front of your neck. Those are pretty good. Also, shrugs. Just grab you know a couple uh, either um, weights or, or dumbbells and just shrug your shoulders, you can work out your, your trapezoid muscles, uh, your trapezius muscles in your, in your back as well. Um, when you do that. Uh, so there's, <laughs> there's really a lot of different workouts. Um, two more things and then I promise I'll shut up about this. Uh, so I know I mentioned sets and reps are great, but there's also variations of that. You can do what's called a superset, which is, um, with biceps, for example, you can like run the rack, where and th- and by the way, a lot of a lot of this advice is catering towards those that are trying to put on muscle rather than than cut. So um, tune me out if, if if you're trying to cut. But if you run the rack and you do a superset, it's like rather than do a set of ten reps of you know twenty five pound bicep curls or hammer curls, you would do you would stand in front of the bicep rack. You would start with ten pounds and you do you know. 10, uh, 10 curls. And then you immediately without rest, go to 15 pounds. You do eight curls. You immediately without rest, go to 20 pounds. You do six curls. And that superset is going to destroy your biceps. So I would recommend doing it at the end of a workout, but it's going to be excellent towards seeing those, those muscle gains. Same thing with triceps. If you want to do like a, uh, a superset with rope pull downs, um, that's a good one. A friend of mine showed me in order to, you know, really burn yourself out there. Um, as I said, it's good to keep you know have your notebook next to you so you can keep count of some of these things. Um, but sometimes it's fun just to do it to exhaustion. You know, if if you're uh, working out your your back and you're you're rowing um, or you're doing lat pull downs, rather than say you know it's your last set, you're gonna do ten or twelve. Just say, listen, I'm gonna do as many as I can. I'm not even gonna count. Um, and and that's really you know how how you see those results. And a friend of mine once told me if if you're doing something exhausting like a plank. You know, and, and and you're not sure if you can keep holding it, and um, you wanna, you know, you wanna stop, and, and you're mentally exhausted, and you know, maybe you have Eminem in your ear saying like "Till I Collapse" or "Heart of a Champion," whatever Drake, whatever you're listening to, but you just count backwards from ten, just take a deep breath, and count back count backwards from ten very slowly. Ten, nine, eight. Long seconds, and that's going to help you get through the the planks. Just counting backwards, um, listening to music. I've mentioned many, many times is important um, towards pushing you, towards motivating you. I, I work out with a stopwatch too, um, so I used to work out work out with a notebook. Now I can remember the sets and the you know the reps and all that. Um, but I work out with a stopwatch uh, now, you know, just to make sure I'm getting the sixty seconds of rep uh, of rest. By the way, don't look at your phone when you're working out. I, th- I think this is a 
you know, you go to the gym and a lot of people are wasting time and getting mentally distracted because they're on Instagram or on Tinder or whatever, or, you know, I understand you should have your phone, especially if you're starting out and you want to look up like ab circuits on um, YouTube. That's fine. But, you know, don't be doing pull-ups or, or, or push-ups and then, you know, a 60-second set turns into a seven-minute set because, you know, you're you're uh, liking this girl's Instagram photos, whatever. So, uh, and then the last thing is in terms of weight, um, if you're looking to add on, uh, they say that it's better to do more weight and fewer reps rather than more reps and fewer weight. So if you're on the bench, for example, this is, you know, this is like the gold standard. Um, it's better to do, you know, let's say you're starting to work out and um, 135 feels a little heavy. It's better to do like three or four reps of 135 than to do like 10 reps of 95. You know what I'm saying? Because um, you really want to uh, push your muscles to uh, induce those micro tears because that that's actually how they repair themselves. The Experiencing the soreness and uh, the muscle tissue growth is how they repair themselves and they come back uh, rebuilt stronger than ever. Than ever. Um, so that's my spiel on building a workout routine. Uh, hopefully there were some solid takeaways there. Oof, that <laughs> a little bit exhausting. I need some, uh, some water myself. And actually, speaking of water, um, when I work out, uh, I... Uh, so I know I said it shut up about fitness. One more quick thing. So I, when I work out, I drink a ton of water. Um, so I totally advise that carry, you know, buy yourself a Camelback, um, you know, 36, uh, 32, 36 ounces, fill it up at least once or twice when you work out that, that staying hydrated is going to be key to enduring a, a two or three hour workout. And, and if you need a boost to the beginning of your workout, uh, you know, drink, buy yourself a supplement C4, um, online is, is excellent. Um, you get the, the beta alanine, the tingles, you get the caffeine, drink coffee, um, have a snack before, um, before your workout, but you need, you need some sort of energy if you're going to push yourself to, um, you know, uh, succeed at this, this marathon workout. All right. Last segment, um, on today's special, uh, you know, fitness and health segment is going to be on meal prepping. Um, so meal prepping, if you haven't heard the term is when you, uh, cook a series of meals for the week. At, you know, all, all in one night. So it's Sunday night and you make a uh, one giant meal that's going to subsist for, you know, four or five days. And I think that it's it's clever and it's, it's necessary to meal prep because let's face it, you know, everyone's busy with work and school and no one actually has time to cook a healthy meal every night. And, and we've talked about, you know, everyone says you have to, you know, eat a gourmet meal, you know, or not gourmet, but everyone says you need to eat a nutritious meal with tons of vegetables and fruits and proteins and fiber, and it has to taste good. Otherwise, you're not going to want to eat it, and it has to, has to look good. And, you know, who has the time to make these gourmet meals every night? Like, you know, people have kids and, and loved ones and, and recreation, and, uh, you know, people have a life. So it's not necessarily um, practical for, you know, everyone to take 45 minutes out of their day to cook a, a fresh meal every night. On the other hand, it's not healthy to eat out or to order in. It's expensive to cook, you know, the, to go out to eat every night and to cook different meals every night. If you want to make, you know, turkey burgers on Monday and then make uh, fettuccine Alfredo or chicken piccata on Tuesday, guys, that's going to be expensive to cook. So why not make one delicious meal, savory meal at the beginning of the week and split it, divide it into, um, you know, meals for the rest of the week so you don't have to worry about it. And this is another thing, much like, you know, I talk about working out that I think has taken hold in the last, um, you know, couple of years with things like Pinterest and Instagram where people are uh, are eating their 
um, their meals, you know, are, are posting their meals and then, um, you know, looking for creative recipes on these platforms. So how do we, how, you know, how do you meal prep? The first thing you need to do is invest in a decent Tupperware. And I don't mean going to the dollar store and buying, you know, four for 99 cents. I mean, you know, get your ass to Target, go on Amazon, pick up a sturdy one that will last. It has to be airtight containers that are leak proof. Okay. And, and buy more than you need because Tupperwares are useful to have around. Um, mason jars are also good if you want to save like a sauce. Um, if you want to like repurpose an old container of like orange juice or <laughs> whatever, I mean, anything, just make sure it's, it's washed well, uh, get creative with it. And, you know, pick a night where you can set aside a couple hours to make everything ahead of time, because it really does take time to, uh, you know, t- to cook enough quantity, um, in order to get that, that meal prep. You want to get ideally three or four quantities, um, uh, in that first session. For me, what I'll usually do is I'll make, uh, again, I like the, the protein and the fiber and, and the healthy carbs. So I'll, I'll make like a baked chicken breast with lemon, broccoli, and sweet potatoes. That's one of my go-tos. So every Sunday I'll go to the supermarket and I'll buy, uh, you know, one and a half, two pounds of chicken and, uh, two clumps of broccoli and three, four sweet potatoes. And I'll make it all on Sunday night. I'll, you know, line my oven with, uh, six trays of, of broccoli and sweet potatoes and chicken. And I'll put, I'll put a lot of time and energy into it. Cause I know that when I'm exhausted on Monday, when I come back from the gym or I come back from working late, I'm not going to want to cook from scratch. I have this delicious meal in my Tupperware in the, in the fridge that just needs to be heated up in the microwave. So a couple of general rules when you're meal prepping. The first thing is you need to pick something to meal prep that you wouldn't mind eating every day. Okay. If the idea of having grilled salmon more than once a, once a week makes you want to puke, do not do it. All right. You need to pick something that is rich with flavor um, that when Wednesday or Thursday night comes and you're on the third to fourth day, you're not going to be like, oh my God, can I just order a pizza? You're going to be like, wow, you know, this is still delicious. Stir fry is, is a great... Um, a great thing to meal prep, easy to make, you know, on the first day, you're going to make your rice, uh, cook your chicken or your beef, add in whatever vegetables you want to the stir fry, rice, pepper, or, excuse me, peppers, onions, string beans, uh, broccoli, carrots. Then you add in your soy sauce, your garlic, you know, uh, your whatever sauce you want. You, you divide it into three or four Tupperwares, you throw it in the fridge and boom, that's dinner for three to four days. So, um, pick something to meal prep. That's, that's, that's going to be good. There's so many ideas online guys. I mean, if you're, if you're a meat eater, Guys, you know, you eat fish, there's, you know, you can make lamb chops and there's, you know, pork cutlets and there's chicken parm and, you know, pick your, the way I like to think of it is you pick your meat, your chicken, your beef, your pork, your, your lamb, your turkey, and then you use the meat to build out a meal. Um, so meatloaf is another go. I love, I love making meatloaf. Um, because I try to be healthy, I stick to like turkey meatloaf, um, or chicken meatloaf rather than the red meat you want to stay away from. So you make your big meatloaf, uh, on Sunday, you throw it in a, uh, in a container in the fridge. I don't slice it up. I just leave the whole meatloaf and you make your side of, uh, of asparagus or your steamed vegetables, your baked vegetables. And boom, that's, that's dinner. (laughs) That's dinner. I feel like that could be like a tagline. Um, so first meal, first rule, pick something to meal prep that you wouldn't mind eating every day. The second rule guys, when in doubt, throw it out. All right, that's that's one of my favorite sayings for for meal prep, and I say it all the time. If you know, if you have any hesitation at all, you have to toss it. The general rule, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, is uh, most meats will stay good in the fridge uh, and fishes, uh, fishes, fish for three to four days. Uh, but you always have to put it to the smell test. If for some reason you bought it from the supermarket, and sometimes the supermarket will mislabel something, um, you know, sometimes uh, you'll forget when you know 
you should always be looking at the expiration date, but maybe you'll throw something in, in, into your wagon that's it's old or near expiration. Just make sure you're, you're putting it to the smell test. Um, if you're a vegetarian, I mean, on the one hand, you're in luck because your meals will stay good for longer than meat-based meals. On the other hand, it might be tougher for you to get creative with, with the first rule and, and having your options. Um, so just put it to the smell test. You can also freeze things to add time. I don't really like to freeze things because I think it's it's best when it's fresh. Um, and, you know, if you make a, you know, a, a, a sauteed chicken, you make like a chicken francaise or chicken marsala and you freeze it, yeah, you can thaw it out, but it's not going to taste as, as fresh. Um, but if you do decide that you really like this meal and, you know, uh, let's say you meal prep on Sunday and then your friend takes you out to dinner on Monday and you're at working late on Tuesday and you have to order in at work, you know, just throw your stuff in the freezer and, and it'll be good for longer. The third re- uh, the, the third rule um, is don't be afraid to get creative. You know, let's say you meal prep a chicken dish on Monday, but by Wednesday you are sick and tired of that stir fry or you're sick and tired of that uh, grilled chicken, whatever. I mean, all you have to do is look at what you have lying around and kind of make a, a meal out of it. I know this is, this sounds like a, an after school, you know, cooking special, but if you happen to have a couple of corn tortillas lying around, cut up your chicken, throw it in a skillet, add some lime and cilantro, and suddenly, you know, you got delicious chicken fajitas. Um, same thing goes for salad. I mean, you know, if, if you, I would invest in, you know, making sure you have uh, fresh vegetables, fresh spinach or kale lying around, then anything that you're cooking, can be turned into a salad. If you just have, you know, some steak lying around, just add greens, preferably spinach or kale to, uh, to romaine or, or to lettuce. And then, you know, your, your, uh, your vegetables and suddenly, you know, you got a salad. So don't be afraid to be creative with the meal prep. If you're getting sick of eating the same thing. And lastly, don't be too ambitious. The ideal range for meal prepping is three to four days in advance. So don't, you know, let's say you make a ton of food on Sunday. Don't, you know, lay out six Tupperwares and say, I'm going to be eating this on Saturday because you're going to run into uh, problems either with the food going bad or, you know, you're going to just get sick of it. And there's a phenomenon in psychology called learn taste aversion, where if you get, if you, if you actually physically get food poisoning, let's say you eat, um, raw salmon or not raw, let's say you eat, uh, bad salmon, salmon that's gone bad. Um, and you get sick from it, you're throwing up. For the rest of your life, uh, the experience is going to be embedded in your psyche, in, in, in your hippocampus, to the point where whenever you're exposed to salmon, whenever someone you know gives you grilled salmon, there's going to be that association between the learned taste aversion um, and your new experience of potentially eating salmon, and you're not going to want to eat it. So if you get too ambitious laying things out, you're going to lose a taste for um, for the fish or for the meat. Um, so three to four days is really best, uh, in, in, you know, in meal prep. Uh, and again, you know, saving you time certainly and saving you money. Because if you think about it, if you do decide that you're going to make, uh, a, um, I, I don't really eat too much fish, but if you do decide that you're going to make, um, let's say like a salmon salad and you, you buy a couple pieces of salad, you buy some vegetables, you buy some spinach and you make your salad for four days, what's that going to cost you? Like, 20, maybe like 20 bucks at the most to make that salad, salmon salad for, for, for uh, four days. That's five bucks per meal. As opposed to you make turkey burgers on Monday and you make, um, you know, uh, 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 pasta with meat sauce on Tuesday and you make a uh, veggie souffle on Wednesday. That's like 10, 15 bucks per meal. So 
not only are you saving time and stress, but you're saving money for meal prepping also. So it's been a very uh, long and um, enriching exploration through the health world today. Uh, Just kind of recap here. We talked about, uh, you know, visiting all of the uh, doctors, you know, what, which ones were, were deemed to be the most important to, to get on your calendar. Definitely seeing that primary care doctor once a year for the annual physical, as well as the dentist once or twice to, uh, prevent those, uh, those, you know, tooth decay and the gum disease. We talked about getting the, uh, full body skin tests from, from the dermatologist and assessing your risk factors, um, age, uh, whether you smoke or drink and, uh, weight in order to determine how often you should go. Uh, we looked at planning a workout routine in uh, detail um, for different parts of the body, whether you're cutting or you're looking to bulk up, um, assessing the uh, specific um, regions of each muscle in order to specialize and diversify the workouts, and of course, the importance of rest, um, pivotal to allowing the muscles to heal and recover. And finally, we del- uh, dove into meal prep, um, being creative in what you're cooking, when in doubt, throw it out, and not being too ambitious with uh, planning those meals in advance. Next week, guys, for real this time, we are going to be discussing aging. What exactly is aging and is there anything we can do to slow the process of aging? Space exploration, how long until we'll finally be colonizing Mars or perhaps the moon? And finally, all about money. Why the Federal Reserve is the most powerful group in the world that you don't even know about and why the next recession might be right around the corner. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Nervous Habits. Um, thank you to the, to the folks who wrote in, um, Philip, George, and Susan. Uh, keep those emails coming at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com and at nervoushabitspodcast on Instagram. Um, thanks for listening this week. Next week's going to be fun. We're finally going to get to that uh, that that uh, special guest talking about uh, aging, space exploration, and money. So be sure to stay tuned. Uh, as I said, we're going to stick to try to stick to the weekly, but it might end up being bi-weekly. So forgive me if that ends up being the case. And guys, as always, stay nervous. Take care.